0: Well, if you take out your sermon notes, we are in the first week of a sermon series that we're calling, What's Love Got to Do With It? Yes, that is a Tina Turner song. I threatened to sing it, but we're going to try to find somebody else can sing it. If you, if you do a good Tina Turner rendition, let us know. Uh, we're talking about what is really the foundational idea, the foundational theological concept in the Christian faith, and that is love. Love for God, love for neighbor. It's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, this is the weekend that we commemorate Martin Luther King's birth and also just think about our nation and the continued healing and the uh, justice work that's needed in our nation. I also just think about the kingdom of God and uh, and and just the the wonderful blessing it is to know that as Paul says in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And and just that Uh, desire from the Holy Spirit to live into that eschatological hope. Dr. King said this about love. He said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And that's what God's love did for us. We were Christ's enemies when God sent Christ in this world to die for us, to reconcile us to him. And it's his love working through us that allows us to reconcile others to him as well. You know, love is the foundational idea of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest theological idea is love. In fact, when, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important law of all of Scripture? He went back and quoted a verse from Deuteronomy when he said in Mark twelve twenty nine and 30, the foremost, the foremost law is hero Israel. The Lord your God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is a quote from Deuteronomy 6 where Moses says, Shema, here, that's in Hebrew, Shema is here, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. it is the foundation of Judaism. It's the foundation of Christianity. And Moses says that, that we are to write it on our doorposts, that they were to wear it on their foreheads and on their arms, that they were to teach it to their kids when they went out and when they came in. And so for the next Four weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And then for two weeks after that, we're going to talk about what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes in my life, when I've thought about churches or or sermon series or ideas, I've kind of got the idea that churches that talk about love a lot... That's kind of the fluffy side of the faith. You ever felt like that? That's kind of the lighter side of the faith. I've always been like, now give me the meat. You know, I want the theology. I want faith. I want grace. But Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus says it's all about love. Our slogan here at Christ Church is love God, love neighbor, love love God, love others, live out the gospel life. And so we're focusing on those first two parts of that slogan throughout the series. We're going to start today by talking about what it means to love God with all your mind. Because I'm convinced that God has to get a hold of our mind just like God has to get a hold of our hearts. And so often we forget about our mind. In the Christian faith, a lot of times we think we have to uh, 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 forsake reason or reject a sound mind in order to really love God. But the truth of the gospel is the exact opposite. That God wants us to love him with our mind, to use our mind as we love him. And, And we can find that in Romans chapter 12 where the scripture talks about having a renewed mind, allowing God to renew our mind with his love. So let me read it for you. Romans 12, 1 through 9, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind. you see that there? The renewing of your mind. Say that with me, if you will. The renewing of your mind. That's what we need. We need God to give us a new mind, to change our mind, to renew our mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself that he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts, In his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Romans chapter 12 comes right after Romans chapter 11. Most of us probably could figure that out. But Romans chapter 1 through 11 is really laying out in a uh, theological way, with theological precepts, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've read through the New Testament before, you know that there's four gospels that start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They give a narrative telling of the gospel story of Jesus' coming, Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' life for us. Then there's the book of Acts and then Romans. Romans is the theological gospel. Sometimes it's called the fifth gospel because it's laying out the theological implications of what Jesus did. In Romans chapter one, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God for salvation to all who believe the Jew first and also the Gentile. In Romans two and three, he talks about how all of us are under sin. All uh, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that none of us are righteous in ourselves and none of us can save ourselves. In Romans four and five, he talks about how the answer to the problem we have, which is our sin and death, is faith. That that's what saved Abraham as he believed in God and was reckoned to him as righteousness, and that's what can save us. But it's not just faith. It's faith in God's grace. And in Romans chapter 6, he talks about how the the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That as we believe this truth that God loves us and has given himself for us in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. In Romans 7, he talks about how We can desire to do what's good, but that's not enough. We need a power indwelling within us to allow us to do what's good. And so in Romans chapter 8, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming to our lives and gives us assurance of, of salvation, this assurance that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. And, and, and that this empowering presence of the Spirit is remaking us and transforming us. And then in Romans 9 through 11, he talks about what's going to happen to the Jewish people and how God has a plan for redeeming and reconciling Jewish people to himself through Jesus Christ as well. In 1 through 11, what I'm saying is that's the gospel. He could have just finished the book there. But Paul knows it's not enough just to know what Jesus has done or know what Jesus is going to do. We also have to apply that to our lives. And so in Romans 12 through 15, Paul's laying out for us how we apply this gospel to our life. And he starts it with this by saying we need a renewed mind. Let me, let me point it out for you again in verse one, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of everything that you've heard in this gospel, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. How do we respond to the gospel? With a sacrifice. Paul's Jewish, he knows that the right way to respond to God, the right way to worship God, is a sacrifice but not an animal sacrifice like in the Old Testament, not by bringing your best sheep or your best lamb or your best oxen to the altar and slitting its throat and laying it on the altar, but Paul says the way we in this new covenant respond to God's love and God's gospel is by sacrificing yourself. It's a human sacrifice, but not a dead human sacrifice. God doesn't want that. What God wants is for you to take yourself an act of worship in response to his love, and lay yourself on the altar to take yourself before God and to lay yourself down, holy and blameless, a living sacrifice fully offered to God as that farmer would go and find his very best lamb, as as they would go and find the perfect Go with no blemish. God wants us to set ourselves apart for him and to give ourselves fully to him. And then he tells us what that looks like in verse 2. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This Christian life that we live out begins by allowing God to renew our mind. As we give ourselves to him, we ask him, we seek his presence, we seek his loving empowering presence of His Spirit to have a changed mind, a renewed mind. You can't live out this gospel life, you can't live out the Christian life with the natural mind, with the sinful mind, with the selfish mind, with the broken mind. We're never going to be the people God created us to be as long as, God's, as long as the world's sinful, broken nature is what guides our lives. We have to allow God to give us a new mind. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is this new mind, this renewed mind, this mind that loves God controlling our lives. What does it look like? Here's the question. What does loving God with all your mind look like? If we're supposed to love love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, what does it look like to love God with all of our mind? How do you love God with all your mind? And we're going to look at four attributes in the rest of this passage from Romans chapter 11, which lay out uh, what this renewed mind looks like, the attributes of a renewed mind. The first attribute, Roman number one on your sermon notes, if you're filling in the blanks, is the renewed mind is humble. The renewed mind is humble. You kind of think, oh, that's an unusual Characteristic. I would have thought the renewed mind is, you know, strong, or the renewed mind is intelligent, or the renewed mind is um, spiritual. The renewed mind is humble. Look at verse 3. For through the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, he's talking to the brothers and sisters in faith in the church, not to think more highly of himself or herself than he or she ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The first attribute of the renewed mind, the mind that loves God with all of its mind, is humility. We realize it's not about us. We realize that the salvation is not about us. We realize that the work we do is not about us. We realize that the glory is not for us, that we don't sit in the center of this universe That we're not the creators of all things, that God created all things and God's redeeming all things, and it's about Him. And that we're part of this creation bringing glory to Him. He's the center of it all. It's humility. We're saved by grace, not by our efforts. We're we're filled with His presence, not with our own pride, and we're humble. Let me ask you, have you ever met an arrogant Christian? Anybody ever met an arrogant Christian? Yeah, a few of you have. I hope you're not thinking about the person on stage right now before you. <laughs> if you do, just, just keep... It's, it's easy to understand how, an arrogant, how a Christian might become proud or how a Christian might become arrogant. You just read the book of Romans and you find out that while I was God's enemy, he loved me so much he sent his own son to die for me, Right? You just read about how God has given me his Holy Spirit. When I was undeserving, he gave me his Holy Spirit. He loves me so much. And so it'd be easy for me to think, wow, I must be pretty special. And on top of that, God's given me these spiritual gifts and abilities that I couldn't even do on my own because of who I am, right? It'd be easy to think, wow, I must be a really special... If you th- think that, right, if, if your faith has made you more proud more arrogant, you've missed the point. It's not about us. It's about what he's doing, right? Sometimes Christians have this sense of spiritual superiority. That, that's not the Christian faith. The arrogant Christian is, is like the older brother in the prodigal son story, right? The younger brother, he takes his father's inheritance. He goes off in the far country. He wastes it all. When he has wasted it all and he's Starving to death, he decides, I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to ask him if he'll take me back as a servant. He goes back, but his dad won't take him back as a servant. He'll only take him back as a son. He puts a ring on his finger, a signet ring. It's like a signature ring of the, you belong to the family. Puts shoes on his feet, puts a robe on him saying, you're my son, has a great party. We know that story, but sometimes we forget about the other one. The older brother never left his father. The older brother always served his father. The older brother was always out in the fields doing the father's work. But for some reason, he never knew the father's love. He came to the father and he's like, you never gave me a goat so I could have a party. And the dad's like, what? Everything I have is yours. Of course, I've given everything to you. But he never received it because he thought it was something he had to earn. He had to deserve his father's love. And he had this arrogant attitude that I'm better than my brother because I deserve it. Well, God doesn't love us because we deserve it. If God loved us because we deserved it, none of us would ever measure up, to get into his family. But God has loved us because he is love and he wants to work through our lives for our good and his glory. Humility. One of the things that I've loved about Christchurch And I remember this from when I was here before in 2003 to 2007. This church has so many people who have um, just achieved uh, success in the world in some of the most amazing ways. And just meeting some of the folks here at Christ Church who have just uh, been leaders in our nation, in our government or in our military or in the business world. And just knowing a little bit about that, it's it's time's been in all of them. But the most amazing thing is seeing the way that they serve. And even when I was planting the church in Dunloring, many of these folks came over and they were the folks painting and scraping the uh, old wrought iron and and up on ladders, fixing stuff, you know, you would never know if you didn't do a Google search or look their name up on Wikipedia, what success they'd had in life because they had this attitude. Their, their Christian witness was an attitude, a renewed mind of humility. That, that's, that is the first characteristic of the renewed mind. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? I'm sorry. What does it mean to love God with all your mind? It's a, it's a mind that's humble. That leads to the second part of the renewed mind. And the second part of the renewed mind, second characteristic of the renewed mind, is the renewed mind sees itself as part of something, not as an autonomous individual. That's the mind of this world. Again, we're supposed to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In this world, we see ourselves as autonomous. We we cling to that autonomy. But the renewed mind, we see ourselves as part of something. Look at verse 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In our world, especially in our North American uh, present world, people crave that, that sense of individualism, that sense of autonomy. That sense that it's about me. The, the Beatles, you know, before I was born, sang a song, I, me, my. But that could be a theme for every generation since, which is that it's about me. You know, I, I, I'm the autonomous individual. And we live in a day where it just becomes more and more and more and more, it seems to me, about the autonomous I. That's what I crave. That's what our society craves, is the autonomous I. You can see it anywhere in society. Political parties, individuals, you know, want to be part of the smaller faction, not the whole. You can see it in a workplace that employees or management look out just for themselves and not for the whole. They don't see themselves as part of this. They see themselves as these individuals. People don't want to join clubs anymore. People don't want to join troops. People don't want to join bands. People don't want to join teams. Everybody wants to be a free agent. Everybody, everybody wants to be a solo act. They want, because they, we crave that control, that I'm in control, that I get the resources, that I, that I get the applause, that it's about me. And even in team sports, you know, I- I- anymore, it seems like everybody wants to market themselves, get their own deal. Uh, it's, it's, it's invaded even college sports. Well, one of the things that I found interesting and, and, and frustrating as a sports fan, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, I would root for the professional team and you'd buy the jersey and basically. The, the, the good players on your team would stay there for their whole career. Now, 20 years ago, we got free agency and they started moving around. Okay, I, I understand that. You know, stop buying the jerseys because you're, you're only going to have them for a year or two. Who knows what, what's going to happen? Um, but now it's invaded college sports, right? At the end of the season, if you're not a college sports fan, it's just happened the past couple years. The players, they put themselves into this transfer portal. Have you heard of this? So they play the season for whatever college has recruited them. I mean, it used to be that they were just recruited out of high school and they went to college. and They spent their career there. Maybe they left early to go to pros. But they, now at the end of the season, they look around. And sometimes the grass on the field of their competitor looks greener than their grass. And they'll put their name into the portal And all these teams will re-recruit them. The same teams that recruited them before will re-recruit them every year. And the shocking thing is, as a sports fan, is that they'll oftentimes go to their rival. An Alabama football player will go to LSU. A, A UVA basketball player will go to UNC. And they'll play against their team the next year. This would have been unheard of. And again, there's lots of reasons for this. For years, the coaches and the Universities have made millions off these student-athletes, and the student-athletes haven't gotten anything. So I, I understand it, but it's just an example of the autonomous eye. It's another example that we as society, we see ourselves. We look out for ourselves. We protect ourselves. And it's hard for us, this is the culture of this world, for us to see ourselves as something bigger than ourselves. Well, that's really hard for a Christian because a Christian sees themselves as something more than themselves, as being part of something bigger. Paul's favorite metaphor for this is the body. The human body is like us, the body of Christ. The human body has 206 bones, 640 different muscles, 900 ligaments, 10 pints of blood, 100 trillion cells, seven layers of skin. And most of those parts of the body cannot survive for more than a few moments apart from the body. And most, many of those parts of the body, the body can't survive without them, without that organ, without that part. The body can't survive without it. We need each other. That's the point of Paul's metaphor here. But there's lots of other metaphors in the scripture that communicate the same thing. That we're a family, the family of God. That we're part of a kingdom, that we have a citizenship in another nation. That we are all priests in this holy priesthood. That we are together in this mission. And that's very countercultural. But you can't have the mind of Christ without recognizing this. That we were part of something bigger than ourselves. The autonomous eye is going to destroy all groupings in our society. It's undermining the political parties. It's undermining teams. It's undermining marriage. It's undermining families. It's going to undermine the denominations and the individual churches. It's constantly breaking us apart because I feel like this is about me. And if you disagree with me on this, I don't want to be in fellowship with you. This is not Christian right? This is is not how the body of Christ is supposed to work. The the body of Christ recognizes, yes, we have a lot of differences. An ear doesn't look like an eye. A hand doesn't look like a foot. It doesn't do the same thing, but we still need each other. And if our nation is going to survive and if teams are going to survive and if the church is going to survive, we're going to have to get this and we're going to have to teach it to the world around us, that we're part of something. That's the second characteristic of the uh, renewed mind, the Christian who loves God with all their mind. The third characteristic of the renewed mind is the re- renewed mind serves. The mind that's submitted by, to Christ, the mind that's filled with the Spirit, has an attitude of service. Look at verse 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, he's just talked about how we're part of the body, but we're also different. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The third countercultural, he says, do not be conformed to this world. This is a nonconformist way of seeing life. It's a nonconformist way of thinking, is that we see ourselves as those who serve, not those who came to be served. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. The, the world teaches us that the, the, the goal is to be served, I want to have enough resources. I want to have enough positional authority. I I want to have enough popularity that other people will serve me. This is the goal of the world, right? This is the mind of the world. When when I really achieve, everybody will be around serving me. The, The gospel, the mind of the gospel is the opposite. I want to have gifts and resources abilities so that I can serve others so I can build up my neighbors so I can invest in this person next to me so I can build up the body of Christ you see the difference we're we're scripted we're taught that it's about getting everyone to serve me and the gospel is trying to reform renew our mind to see ourselves as those who serve of course looking at Jesus is a great way to do that but we can see that all around us as well so many people notice the way that Bev greets at the door, and by the way, Bev was telling me, man, you are really selling me. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a great example, but I'll, I'll sell some other folks too. But you, 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 you see Bev at the door, and the thing is, it looks so natural, right? Right? It looks like she was just made for that. But guess what? It's more than natural. It's supernatural, right? That in our natural sinful self, we don't serve like that. That's a work of God. That's a gifting of God. You could be fully submitted or I could be fully submitted to God and have a renewed mind. I can't serve like that because that's not my gift. But that is her gift. Or you watch the way Milton or one of our worship leaders leads up here, and it just seems so perfect. Like this person was made for that. They were more than made for that. They were remade for that. God reconstructed their mind so that they could do that for us. Or you think of the way that Bob Flanagan drives that truck around, helps everybody out. Such a smile on his face as he's serving. Or Kathy Hayes and Charlie, the way they run the tech team back there. Or you think about the Cranston's and the Jameses as they integrate this Afghan family into our culture. Or the way that uh, Pat Dumont and Jamie Mayo serve in the Possibilities Club. There's just one after another. The, the way that so many of the men and, and some of the women of the church help Build a new playground and put down uh, turf out there for the school to have a place to play. It's, it's this renewed mind that says, that's what I love to do. I mean, when I, when I talk to folks out there doing that grueling work and I'm saying, thank you so much for doing this. It makes such a difference. That's the number one response I get. I love to do this. Like, really? You don't even mow your own grass. How do you love coming here and tearing up our turf and putting down turf? Because it's this. I love serving. That's a renewed mind. God puts that mind within us. The main point here is you can't love God without a renewed mind. I'm not here trying to motivate you to do something you don't want to do. I'm telling you that God has a new life for you and it starts with a new mind. And when God gives you this new mind, you're going to live differently And you're going to love it. When God gets a hold of our mind, we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. We begin to flow into his will, his design for our lives. There's one more quick way I want to show you that the renewed mind is different, and that is the renewed mind is sincere, genuine, through and through. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. The renewed mind is not about performance. We're not here saying, you can do this, you know. Work it out. Figure it out. You can do this. See, the world is about performance. The world is about I can train myself up. I can work myself out. I can get these credentials. I can do this, right? I can fix this. And because of that, the world is always trying to perform. I can act this way. I can achieve this. Okay, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not down on human achievement. I'm saying that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about the renewed mind. What the renewed mind is, is that God gets a hold of our mind And gives us the mind of Christ. And then when we serve. Or when we see ourselves in a group. The body of Christ. Or when we have humility. It's not us trying to do it. It's it's God. The spirit of God. The spirit of Christ living through us. That he has changed our mind. He's given this mind that we understand and do his will. Of course it's a lifelong process. We're always going to struggle with sin. It's always going to be. But. But that there's a way of living that allows his spirit to work and to live through us. And this is what it looks like. It's sincerity. Let me just, again, just because I'm a fan, let me just pick on Bev again. Does anybody think she's faking it out there? Right? Anybody think that she acts that way because she knows when she sits down and to her staff review, I'm going to say, well, were you kind? You know, no, this is who she is, right? Does anything, anybody think that Bob is just showing off or Jim that's up here is just showing off? No, this is who they are. It, it's genuine because God has changed their mind. God has renewed their mind to put the mind of Christ within them. And that's what all of us need. Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What happens is that God gives us the love of Christ in our lives, and that renews our minds so that we begin to love God with all of our mind. You can't love God without that renewed mind. That's what we all need. And I just want to pray for us this morning that we might allow God to renew our minds so that we can love like Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that when we were your enemies, you sent Christ to give himself for us. And now, Lord, you're sending your Holy Spirit to give us Christ within us, that Christ may truly be in us. And so we pray, Lord, that you might give us that heart to throw ourselves onto that altar before you, to set ourselves apart as a holy Sacrifice to you, a living sacrifice, that you might renew our minds and give us the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, the mind of seeing ourselves as part of what you're doing, the mind of service, and that we might live out our lives with a genuine integrity, taking joy, Lord, in serving you and serving others so that you may be glorified through it. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. Thank you in particular for the body of Christ here at Christ Church, and the amazing ways that you work through this place. May you be glorified in it all, in Jesus' name, amen.